from Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in Sean McCraney. we got a lot to present for your consideration tonight, so let's get right to it. I called uh, Pastor Jason Wallace last week. I asked him a simple question. Are we done? And uh, what I meant were, are we done with all of this stuff between us? To my surprise, on the replay he did of our uh, challenge with each other, which I think is very reasonable. And then he said, and then I don't see any reason to continue. And uh, I couldn't help but say praise God and felt that our time together was not a waste or was in vain, but maybe uh, in, as a brother and he might see me in the same way, even though we don't agree with one another on points of doctrine or practice. Uh, I was then informed after our conversation a few days later that on his show, Jason said he was in fact going to continue to pursue me, this time with another Orthodox pastor. They're going to tag team it. And I hope that information's incorrect, but in the face of it, let me say this. I uh, accept Jason as a brother, and I think he sincerely believes that he is doing God's will in criticizing me. And uh, I, however, commit to you that I gotta, I'm not going to criticize him or... I'm going to really try not to criticize any brother. Uh, I might criticize beliefs or practices, but never a brother or sister directly in public. But I'm going to really strive to um, see them as meaning well and let God be their judge for the good they do or the evil if they happen to do that as well. You know, in order for subjective Christianity to be taken seriously, it has to be seen as viable and therefore it has to be seen. It has to be lived. So we got to start somewhere. We'll try to start here. So there's that. How about a moment from the world? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 25, these are good passages. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye... Where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Or again, to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts, our ugly parts, have more abundant For our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 
Colossians 1.18, speaking of Jesus, he said, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is from the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So he says he's the head of this body. And we're, we, have a, we have him likening a physical body uh, to the body of Christ. Now the imagery is a wonderful picture of unity and organization in the, in the body of Christ, which Jesus is serving as the head. And all believers, you might be the toenail, you might be the heart, you might be the foot, whatever it is. We, we might be just broken down into cells, the subatomic level, whatever it is, we make up the other parts. Many believers take this message and apply it to local congregations physically. And it works. Uh, but I strongly suggest the meaning is far more applicable in a spiritual sense than physically to local congregations. For instance, with Christ being the head, the brains of the operation, as it were, and with Christ having ascended, he's the head of this and he's ascended, I think it's safe to conclude that Christ leads the body spiritually. I mean, he's not here with us, right? Not physically. So we know that as the head, he leads us spiritually. So there's one element to it. And then with believers all over the world being members, are we united physically with these other members or are we united spiritually? Of course, the answer is spiritually. I mean, we can only integrate physically and accept those who are in our present geographical location but spiritually, we belong to a body of believers that's scattered throughout the universe, if you want to put it that way, if need be. So is the body of Christ many bodies? Is every single independent congregation a body of Christ? So there are many bodies of Christ? There are hundreds of thousands of bodies of Christ running around? Or is there one body? Another argument to show you that it's a spiritual body made of one body. It's not bodies of Christ. It's body. So therefore, it has to be spiritual because if it was physical, then it would be bodies, right? Finally, we know that our membership in the body is spiritual and that what we do in the body is spiritually driven. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.15, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So, I mean, even the blessers of this body are primarily spiritual. Uh, the Jews, under the economy of do good and you're blessed, do wrong and you're cursed, they expected there to be reward here. But in Christ, the rewards aren't here. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places with Christ. And he's talking about believers here on this earth. Again, another spiritual appeal. Peter made the principle really clear when he wrote, speaking of believers and comparing us to the old dead stones that made up the temple. Peter said this, you are lively stones. Lively stones. That means you're living stones. Not those old ones carved out of rock, but you are living stones and are built up of a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ. That's all spiritually based. There's nothing to do with brick and mortar at all. Spiritual sacrifices, what, what are those? It's, it, they're sacrifices that we do that are prompted by spiritual things and they relate to spiritual matters. The earthly sacrifices, even the tithing of, a, of, of money, which people say that's a sacrifice unto the Lord, it's, that's a law. That's not a spiritual sacrifice. But if it moves upon you to give, then you have that being applicable. So we have to move away from the tangible law, the tangible rules of order to keep people involved that we've appealed to for centuries. And we have to, again, let everything be governed by the Spirit. I want you to consider, and it's conjecture, but it makes sense to me. Think about this. I've never thought about this until I prepared. The body is governed by Christ spiritually, thrives on things of the Spirit, not on carnal matters, not in brick, not in flesh, not in funds. But whatever and whomever is of the Spirit, right? Sure, in directing 
us tells us what leads the body, Christ, the head, who again does this spiritually. Hang with me. Then we know that he's the head and then we are all made up of the members of the body. But do you notice in this analogy, we are never told what the blood is in the body of Christ. What is the blood in the body of Christ? We're all members. Maybe some members are part of the blood. I think something else. We know true believers play that the life of the human body is in the blood, right? That's why Christ shed his, his blood. So if Christ is the head and we are the members, what is the life blood? Because that's where the life of the body is in Christianity today. We might think it's the shed blood of Christ, that physical blood that was spilled once and for all 2,000 years ago, but that's a mixed metaphor. His blood cleansed sin. In the living spirit body, what is it that courses through the body's veins? We know that whatever it is, like human blood, the blood in the body of Christ has to take oxygen, to the other members. It has to provide energy, sugar, uh, hormones for growth and for development to the spiritual members of the body. We know it has to court away. It has to serve to carry away waste from the members and the cells, from the minds of believers. It has to defend against infection. It has to regulate the body temperature uh, of, the, of the spiritual body. It has to respond to injury and arousal and infection and all sorts of things. What is the blood? If what the body life, it's what serves, it's what gives the body life, it's what serves the body and gives it life, and I would therefore liken blood, it's made of two things, it's made of platelets, I would call that the word of God, because then does those things, it carries out the bat, it brings energy, it brings oxygen, it oxygenates, it carries out the waste, it, by the washing of the word, it cleanses that, and I would call the white blood cells and the red blood cells the Holy Spirit. So we have there in that model of us being members of the body of Christ, with Christ being as the head, through the body, which, made it, which is scattered across the whole world. And the Holy Spirit is oxygenating and carrying energy and removing waste. It's all spiritually based. It has nothing to do with men at all. In other words, church playing that you could really play in the body today is to teach the Word. And, and, and the rest is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not to discipline. It's not to kick people out. It's not to do, uh, fight against society. It's not flesh and blood warring against each other. It's none of that garbage. It's a spiritual body. So the, the, the greatest thing the church can do is say, open up the doors. Let's teach the word. And you know, you can serve the poor too. But again, the spirit can move people to do that. It really is to teach the word. So with Christ as the head, spirit as the blood, the spiritual nature of Christianity becomes even more obvious. Friends, the physical church, plain church, and the roles men and women continue to insert themselves into uh, are like r laws written in stone. They are laws written in stone, but let me God has written his laws upon our heart. It's time for believers to embrace and approach this beautiful faith from this view, begin to liquidate begin to deconstruct as much of the physical as possible. Use those, those uh, assets for other means. Dumb it down. Bring it way, way, way down. Get buildings that are just there to learn the word. Give people Bibles. Wish them well. Help them out if you can. Whatever. Some fellowship. Get out of there. It's the Holy Spirit that is governing this. When will we realize that? And with that, let's have a word. Other, we seek you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for sending us your only begotten Son. We pray that we will be cognizant of the constant source of light and truth that you extend to us. And we pray that we will seek you. We pray for those who volunteer, the, the staff, the operators and graphics and sound and everything else that goes into putting this on. And we pray for people who are seeking for truth 
no matter where they are, that they will hear it from you and they will discard the rest wherever it comes from. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we could go back to the whiteboard. Last week we do it just because we don't really need it tonight. But just remember, it's a big whiteboard and right smack in the middle, there's a little dot. And that little dot represents the Old Testament, the biblical narrative. It represents the birth of Christ. It represents his ministry, his life, death, resurrection, ascension. It represents the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD. That was the dot about that big in the middle of this great whiteboard, which we call the history of Christianity. Okay? Let's start to look at some facts. We're going to just break this down categorically. So there are two stances taken in the world today on how things are done and how things should be governed in the Christian church. In the face of the two, I, of course, strongly suggest a third is needed. Okay? The first claim is we have authority in a direct line from the apostles. That's the first claim, and you can just put, hang that claim right here in the air, okay, right on this side. And in, under that claim of we have apostolic authority, you have three major branches. You have Roman Catholicism, you have Greek and you have the LDS Church, okay? The Romans say they get it from Peter, the Greeks say they get it from Peter, and the LDS say Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist restored it to Joseph Smith in 1830 in a grove of trees, and other places, somewhere. So, those three are the stance. We have authority. Don't mess with us. We can choose our line all the way back to uh, Peter, James, and John, and whoever else. I have a little card uh, somewhere in my files that I received when I got the priesthood as it showed that this person gave it, the priesthood to me who gave it to them, and then, then, then goes back to Joseph Smith, and then it says, and Peter, James, and John gave it to Joseph Smith. So they believe in the restored gospel. If these claims are true from either the Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, or the Mormons, Protestant Christianity has to exist. None. If any one of those three, or all three, at least two of them could be the same. If that is true, they have rebelled. Protestant Christianity has rebelled against God's authority, and it ought to be destroyed. Bottom line, if any of those are true. Again, Roman Catholics or the Greek Orthodox or the LDS claims that restoration are legitimate. The rest of the Protestant community needs to join one of those faiths or whichever one has the truth. Now, I have personal issue with the claims of any of these three being legitimate, and there's a long list, but their stance, quite frankly, uh, I think we have to admit that the proof that those three at least claim to have, and the reason that they say they have authority, has far more merit, in my opinion, if you're looking at authority, claims at legitimacy to authority, than what the Protestant uses to support their claims. Far more. That has to be looked at because it fits into, well then, what do we do with that, okay? We're gonna get more into that in a second. So, the second stance is the protesting stance. Protestantism is a name that goes back to, I think, a papal bull of some sort where it says, these guys are protesting against the Catholic claims to authority, the Roman Catholic claims to authority. So they are protesting against authority of the Catholic Church. All right? Now, the history of Protestantism is vast and multifaceted. It'd take an entire year to even scratch the surface of the players and the chronology of what happened with Protestantism once it began. So I'm not going to do that. Let's try and summarize how, Western, how this Western rebellion, known as the Reformation, came into being. And that's what it was. It was a rebellion against, a protest against the established authority. Okay? Remember, remember, today the Protestant church, for the most part, conformity to their authority. Remember that. They say, we now have the authority to excommunicate you, to have people ordain you, to, have this, these, to do this certain sacrament, to do this prayer, to do this communion. 
They have all sorts of things that they have kind of culled out of that former tradition, and they have applied it to themselves. And today we have a very similar picture of what Roman Catholicism and Mormonism and, and Greek Orthodoxy claims to have. And it's morphed into this within the Protestant community. Challenge the pastor and his teachings. Refuse to accept something that a pastor says as true as they see and teach it. You may find yourself uninvited. You may find yourself disfellowshipped, kicked out, ostracized, at least defriended. So, remember, this questioning, challenging attitude was the very attitude of the Protestant Reformation founders when they challenged the Roman Catholic status quo, all right? Why is that challenging not valid today? How come Protestant churches seem to think, don't challenge what has long stood as, as truth, it really hasn't stood that long, 350 years, Protestant since uh, 1517, whatever, how many years that is? Is that, is that 350 years? Around that, that many years has been since five thesis? 350 years? I mean, before Luther did that, 1,517 years or 1,500 years had gone on about, maybe a little less, maybe a thousand where no one challenged the authority. And all sorts of things were gone for 350 years and we're going back to the same thing. But these guys say, no, 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 you cannot challenge. You are a heretic. You are, you are really off your rocker to challenge what has been esteemed as the truth. Unbelievable. So we do have to be really naive to believe challenge Roman Catholicism. He wasn't. In fact, there was an entire period of history, the Catholics say this didn't exist, where some other people popped up, Peter Waldo, Wycliffe, Jan Hus, these earlier guys before Luther supposedly challenged Roman Catholicism, but were shut down. So to simplify, things really got legs when that Augustinian monk, Martin Luther, challenged the Roman Catholic authority, of which he was a part, and he said, I'm going to nail my 95 thesis to this door at Wittenberg. Boom, boom, boom. And it had 95 reasons why the Catholic Church was not doing what it should. Among other things that Luther criticized the, Catholic, uh, the Catholics for were, one, selling indulgences. I won't go into it, but it was a, it was a horrible practice. Uh, you can look that up. He also said the second thing that was big on his Resistance. He had three main things, really. He had 95 theses, but he had three main points. The second was, the Pope has no authority over purgatory. Okay? The Pope claimed to have authority over purgatory, that if you throw money into a thing, a bell rings and someone's released. He said, there's something wrong with that picture. The Pope has no authority over purgatory. I'm going to challenge that. Okay? And the third one is that the Catholic doctrine of the merits of the saints has no biblical foundation, meaning we don't read about the Catholic saints in the Bible as if they have some value. In time, those three main things that Luther and then others followed in grew. And before long, there's all sorts of practices and doctrines that became untenable. Well, Luther was joined by the likes of a guy named Zwingli, and Calvin, and the whole Reformation lasted about 131 years. From, 18, from 1517, boom, boom, doom, boom, 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 the, the door at Wittenberg, till about uh, 1648, and it included uh, millions of deaths. And we're talking some heinous stuff that went on in the name of vying for power and control. At the same time that Protestantism was fighting and having the war with the Catholics, the Protestants began to put war on people who challenged them. And they were putting people to death for challenging. Protestant leadership was saying must be adhered to. That's why Calvin had Michael Servetus put to death. People will say, well, we don't know he did. He did. He was involved, just like Brigham Young was involved in Mountain Meadows Massacre. Calvin was involved in Michael Servetus' death because Servetus was a rabble-rouser and challenged some of Calvin's idiotic notions. So, they're killing people in the name of Jesus. 
I would suggest none of it, none of it ought to have ever happened. Any of it. Either from the Catholic side and the Inquisitions and the Crusades or the Protestant side. And that all of it could have been entirely avoided if the third approach to Christianity had been braced, but more on this later. Remember, it was the Protestant Reformation was the result of regular men and women who said, what the church is presently doing in the name of God and Christ needs to be challenged. And those who did the challenging were good believers. They were not bad believers, nor were they probably trying to do something bad, including Calvin, including Luther, who was a vicious anti-Semite, who's writing Hitler and, and, and the Third Reich to some degree. I mean, he was an, a relentless anti-Semite. How you can be a relentless anybody when you're a Christian, but Luther was. This is one of the reasons I branched off from Mormonism and went to this, because we look at our own house. Everybody who's a, a Christian, they look at his wives. Look at Brigham Young and Mountain Meadows. Look at what he did. Luther, he said just as many things that were absolutely abhorrent when it comes to Christian love. We don't talk about that stuff at all. We just act like he was a great reformer who the light of God was shining through and, did, and millions of people died. For the, it's, it's all this bull. It really is. So it all seems that they had good intentions. They were aimed at honoring God, making things better, not worse. But it didn't work out. Also remember that almost 150, uh, 1,500 years, 1,200 years, uh, went by where the, the Roman Catholic Church, okay, a thousand years, were in power and they weren't challenged. So in revisiting and challenging these things, is it any worse today than them challenging things in 15? I don't think so. Isn't it strange that religious men and women today hail Luther and Calvin and others as heroes of the faith, but the church in their day, the Catholic Church, railed on them as being enemies of God, antinomian, against without law, and needing to be accountable to the Pope and the, and the bishops and the Catholic leadership. Needing accountability, because he's gone rogue, this Luther. I would suggest that the following today ought to be reformed. And I would suggest that we ought to all stand up and start trying to get it reformed. You may disagree. Check your facts. I mean, if you have a, some things you think need to be reformed, stand up and say it. I'm not the one who has anything that, some lock on what needs to be reformed, but to me, I see four or five things, four things that I think need to be reformed in today's age of Christianity that wasn't done right at the Protestant uh, Reformation. The first thing that the teaching that afterlife punishment is forever needs to be altered. I think there's just as much evidence, more evidence, that proves God is not going to torture people forever and out of his goodwill. I think that needs to be challenged. I don't think Christianity gets a fair shake to other people when we present it that way. And I think when you look at purgatory at the early uh, Roman Catholic Church, there was a reason that was there. And there was a reason purgatory listed, lasted for a while and then people got out. That was lost with the Protestant Reformation. I think the teachings that Jesus least considered at least thrown in with the evidence that supports the preterist view that he returned in 70 AD as he promised he would. I think that should be something that, that would clear up a lot of things. Two things. I think the teachings that brick and mortar churches have any other purpose than serving the community and teaching the Bible ought to happen. I think there ought to be a worldwide revolt. No more money. We're not going to give you money to build up castles and to fight against abortion, and to fight homosexuals. We're not going to give our money to have a pastor go on a paid vacation to Disney World every year. We're not going to give our money to live in luxury. We'll give our money to the poor directly. We will give the money to the poor in the church directly, not through the church. Why not? Why does the church become the bank for which to collect everyone's money and then distribute it as they see fit? Because it's a business. That's why. Third thing. And the fourth, you may not agree with it. I think the teachings that step back, I think the teachings that say you're not a Christian if you don't embrace 
the creedal definition of the Trinity. I think that needs to be removed. I think God's, well, that's certainly not a Christian tenet. But if someone says, I believe in one God, I believe Jesus was God in the flesh, and they say, I'm not so sure about the Trinity, we do not castigate and remove and threaten. I think those four things would go a long way in rectifying the mess that we're in right now because the Protestant Reformation didn't pull the trigger completely. Luther was afraid. He's still, I mean, they still baptize babies in some of these churches. They, 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 did, they still have a lot of vestiges from Roman Catholicism. So really quickly, let me lay out what Protestantism stands for. And remember, protesting against the Catholics. First, most Protestant churches, especially at the time of the Reformation, believed in, comically, the universal priesthood of all believers. That was a tenet they stood on. You know why they Because they said the Catholics say we have the priesthood by authority. Well, the Protestants came along and said, no, there's a universal priesthood of all believers. And they stood on that platform. This implies the right of every Christian, the laity, to not only read the word and on their own, but to take part in what goes on in their community. It would really be congregationally led. The position is supposed to be opposed to hierarchical systems, which puts the essence and authority of the church in an exclusive place and power and makes ordained ministers and priests between the people and God. The Protestants said, no way. We have the right to be directly. So for me, and in most cases of Protestant churches today, I think the stance is comical in today's light. Because, first of all, to claim the priesthood is held by all believers, but to exclude women, clearly says in Christ Jesus, there's no difference between male and female, bond and free. Uh, anybody, we are all one, Jew and Greek, to say, listen, one of the stances we make in the Protestant Reformation is that there is a priesthood of all believers. That means women can pray over others. That means husbands. That means that men can, can do anything. They can bless communion. They can baptize. Women can baptize the same way a pastor can do it without one bit of difference because there's a priesthood of all believers the Protestants stood on. But we don't see that today. Not at all. We have denomination number of denominations. They reject the Catholic claims of authority, but they still think certain men are more qualified to preach, teach, bless communion, distribute it, be called a deacon, an elder, any of that stuff. That's not a priesthood of all believers. That's an elitist thing that the Catholics were doing too. A few other distinctives that the Protestant reformers took against the Catholic Church are summarized in the word sole, S-O-L-A-E. There are five soles upon which Protestant... It began with three soles, and then it expanded out to five, I think three. Uh, sole means alone in Latin. So uh, let me just quickly go through those. We'll open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. And let me talk about the soles. The first one is the big one, and it's the one I'm going to spend on the next three weeks to rip apart for a good reason, and it is sole scriptura. It is the idea that Protestants established four primary stance in the Bible. Okay, sola scriptura has four subcategories beneath it. That its teaching is necessary for salvation. That is one point. They call that necessity in theology. They say its teaching is necessary for salvation. I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think the Holy Spirit, without someone ever having a Bible, read a Bible, or owned a Bible, can be saved and, and without the Bible whatsoever. The Protestant Reformation said no. Part of sola scriptura is the need for the teaching of the Bible for salvation. The second subpoint is doctrine necessary for salvation comes from the Bible alone. They called that sufficiency, okay? That it, the Bible's sufficient to teach you what you need to know to be saved. The third point is that everything taught in the Bible is correct. 
or sometimes people say infallible. I've used those words. The caveat to that is they're talking about original manuscripts that were written from Paul's mind to the paper. They are not talking about copies of manuscripts or what we're holding today. So why anyone talks about inerrancy? Because we don't have any of the original manuscripts. There are none. So to speak of inerrancy is, is foolishness, really, because all we have are copies of copies of copies of translations. And so therefore, inerrancy is a lost discussion. And then the fourth thing is that the whole it allows believers to read and understand the truth from the Bible itself, not needing an intermediary from a priest, though understanding can be difficult. So the means used to guide individual believers to the truth is often a mutual discussion within the church. And that's known as clarity. That's the fourth point under the first sola of sola scriptura. So some, we're going to focus on those things and what the Bible means. And, but let me finish up the rest of the scripturas. All right. Let me just turn this. There's a multiplicity of problems with Sola Scriptura, but Scriptura, there's Sola, uh, sola uh, Fida, and that means justification by faith alone. That's the next one. And uh, it states that faith in Christ is sufficient alone for salvation. This was in response to the Catholic teaching that works were also necessary. Whether that was a perceived uh, thing or not, that was their response. It's faith alone, not faith and works or faith or works from you authority groups. It's faith alone for salvation. And, you know, I agree with, with that one. Sola Christus is Christ alone, the third one. Wholeheartedly agree with this, but you have to laugh at it in the face of evangelical approaches today because early Protestant reformers had some hearty disdain for the Catholic Pope as a representative head of the church on earth. They said, we don't like this idea of someone standing up and saying, I represent the church on earth. Yet somehow today in the Protestant community, men have crept back in and put themselves in in terms of doctrine and understanding and authority to the mix and allow themselves to loom over individual believers in their individual flocks. The idea of Christ alone is kind of laughable in Protestantism today. Because if someone walks in and says to the pastor, well, I believe my, I'm, I'm saved by faith, sola fide, Christ alone, and, and I don't really care what you say, you are in rebellion. You will be cast from our presence and defriended on Facebook. I mean, how do you have all this original stuff from the Protestant Reformation? But today, it's so laughable to me. Sola gratia, grace alone. Remember, it was the Protestants' revolt against the Roman Catholic way of doing things as perceived that they did grace and works. And finally, sola deo gloria, God alone. And, you know, that is God alone brings salvation and it's accomplished through His will, not our own. Uh, so... Um, he gets the glory, ironically, and again, in the face of the way many churches say, all of these solas have, a, have effectively been marginalized. And men and their theologies and standards and Bible bludgeoning have moved more toward the Catholics and the Mormons and the Greek Orthodox stance of authority than, than, than where they were before. So I'm going to take the first sola, sola scriptura. We're going to use the whiteboard and we're going to start building around why sola scriptura a fail. Now, please understand... <laughs> I love the Bible. I make my life reading the Bible. I say I make my life. I get up and I read this thing. I love it. I think it is the single most important book on the face of this earth. I think every human being should read this. I think that it is translated well. I think that it does lead us to what's needed for salvation. I think that God's will is revealed through this book. And it is reliable and trustworthy. But Sola Scriptura sets up a problem foundation that we can see today has not been able to uh, uh, substantiate, not have been able to support the body of Christ. 
All right, open up phone lines, 801-590-8413, 590-8413. We're going to go to George in Lakeview, Oregon, after this massage. Seth was making me laugh. Um, it's his fault. All right, let's do. Uh, let's go to George in Lakeview, Oregon. George, you are on Heart of the Matter. Jorge, Georgie, Georgiana, <laughs> George, not there. We'll come back to George. Uh, we need to tell our operator tonight to put the whiskey away. All right, hold on for a second. Okay, listen, uh, some emails. Actually, not an email. There's, there's, there's an email I want to read from. This comes from Brisbane, Australia. It's from Foodie. And uh, this is what it says. Ready? I attend a Baptist church. In this church, I was released from religious chains that I was indoctrinated in from a young age, attending a Samoan Congregational Presbyterian church. Pretty, pretty strict, Okay. My wife and I enjoy the fellowship we share with members from our church. However, I'm really struggling to listen to the sermons and teachings that are spoken and taught every week. They sound exactly like what you said once, quote, keeping the messages hip and trendy to fill the seats because it generates money. I no longer pay tithing, which was a big decision for me. The pastor has just started a series on God, and I disagree with almost all of it. He adds, I currently am studying your series on God, which has opened my eyes. Things like the Trinity and eternal sonship just don't make sense to me like it used to. I believe in one God, not a Trinity. There have been times when the tithing message was longer than the sermon. LOL. <laughs> my question is, do you think I should continue to attend my Baptist church and just ignore the things that are taught? So my wife and I can continue to have our fellowship connections. I've nominational churches and found one. It teaches tithing, frowny face. I don't want to attend any church that teaches saved by grace, but... Sorry for the long email. Keep up the great work. Continue to investigate and study the greater light that shines on all topics. God bless you. Your friend and fellow truth seeker from Brisbane. A 2D for this... Uh, email because it buoyed my spirits when I read somebody who, a foodie, I'm sorry, someone who reads um, and seeks for truth, uh, it warms my heart. Uh, and in terms of where you, where you go, uh, you know, you're going to have to turn up men teach. I pray to God people at campus when I teach will say, blind eye, <laughs> blind eye, <laughs> because there are things I say that are wrong. I'm a man. I have a brain, I read, they're not all right. And no pastor is right. So you, no church is going to give it all to you. That's why it's by the Spirit. So you and your wife, you want fellowship. You find a good church you can fellowship in. It's not killing you with messages. It's not restricting you with legalisms. Jesus is praised in worship. Some are going to teach tithing. Some are going to teach Trinity. We're going to have this mess, you know, as long as we're on this earth. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Stay in the, the church. If it's a good thing for you and your family, you have friends who are in there, but try with love to encourage change amidst where you're at. Try to suggest that you and the pastor have lunch and talk about tithing or talk about some of your concerns with the Trinity. And if you do it in the right quite possible, your, your pastor will listen and things will get better and better. But thank you so much, Foodie, for that. Really appreciate it. George is back from Lakeview, Oregon. George, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, this is really Sean McCraney? It really is, unfortunately. Oh, awesome. Um, wow, well, I, I almost don't know what to say. I almost forgot what to say. Um, you, you're awesome. I, I totally love your videos. They're great. Um, I'll try not to take too much of your time. Um, I saw that Inquisition video. Um, I got to say, I really don't think those people really loved you. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I, I, I pretty much, you know, I grew up a Lutheran and pretty much um, everything you said, for the most part, made sense to me. Um, and and I, I, you know, I don't think that, 
you know, saying you're on the path to hell. I think that's um, strong, huh? It, it is pretty strong. And, you know, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. And, you know, sometimes I, I think my faith is pretty strong. And sometimes, you know, I, I say to myself, well, do I really know the truth? Am I really, you know, do I really know what's going on? Always yes, but um, that that that's hard for your own Christian brothers to just come at you like that. Well, hopefully it's, it's behind uh, us. How, how do you deal with it, if you don't mind me asking? Not well. I, I fail. If you were there, I, one one pastor was laughing during that because of something that was going on. That if I, he should be grateful, I'm not a I'm a Christian because if I wasn't, I'd punch him in the face. Uh, I mean, that is total flesh, total idiocy of me, the jackass. So I don't deal with it well, and that's why I don't like debates, because I, 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 I mean, I'm Scottish, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Blackfoot Canadian Indian. I mean, I got all the makings for being a, a raving alcoholic and a brawler. So it's not good for me to get in debates. I praise God for his ability to get in there and work with me. So I don't handle it well, George, but in time, he works on us. We keep going. And uh, I appreciate you watching. Was that, did you have a question or did you just want to make that comment? Um, I, I just wanted to make the comment, um, you know, because you, you've, I mean, I don't really, I go to church once in a blue moon. And, um, you know, I don't agree with absolutely 100% of what you say, but I agree with like at least 90% of it or more. That's not bad. And um, it's, you know, your, your, your videos have been a great help to me. I just wanted to thank you. Thanks so much, George. Really appreciate it. Hope to meet you someday. You too. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. We're going to Jody in Spanish Fork, Utah. Jody, you're on Heart of the Mater. Yeah, Sean, we're crazy. How many times was the Temple destroyed on the Temple Mount? One time. Oh, no, no, no. On the Temple Mount. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, destroyed. It was destroyed like three times and only back, built back twice. Is that not right? I don't know. Okay, so what about in Detroit? Why wasn't it built back? Because Christ had come. Very, I agree. But, but Jody, aren't, don't Christian, aren't they always talking about the rebuilding of the temple? Yes. Yeah. But God doesn't want a temple made with hands. Yeah, exactly. That's why the temple... Jody quoting scripture there, where God does not want us to worship in temples made with hands, but we are a spiritual body like Peter said. Jody, that's a great insight, and it's good to hear your voice. Love you, Sean. Thanks. Thanks Love for you, all too. Your work. Okay, bye, Jody. Bye. Really good point. Yeah, I thought it was four times, but uh, I don't know. I, three times? Jody knows. She's a reader and knows her stuff. Let's go to Jason in Ontario, Canada, on line four. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I've got a couple of questions and a couple of comments. If if I have time, if I don't have time, I can just limit the amount I've got here. But... Let's go with the questions. Okay. Um, my first question is, um, is in regards to today's one, a little bit near the end there, you were talking about like sola scriptura and stuff like that. Um, my question is kind of like, do you believe in sola scriptura, but not in necessarily the way that the Protestants have? Toted it up to be? Yes. Like, you believe that, but not the way that it's defined? Yes. I, I think that uh, I believe in Scripture alone. Yes, I don't think there's any other word of God that's going to... But I, but I think the way they've defined it is absolutely incorrect. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I figured, but I was just... Clarifying. Clarif it's just more of a clarification question. Yeah. And the other one... Uh, Actually, yeah, they're both basically the same questions, so I'll forget the second question. Jason, I have a question my, for you. Yep. Are you any relation to a man named Reed who lives in Utah? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're I don't think so. What's his last name? Do you know? I can't give it out over the air. Okay. Yeah, I I have no idea. My extended family's so weird, like so large and whatever. Maybe. I, yeah. I don't know for sure. Hey, Jason. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it, my brother. Okay. Oh, is that yeah, it? 
Oh no, I, I, I well, I have two more comments, but I might just do the one. Okay, do the one. On show. Um, geez, um, when you were talking about spirituality, like the spiritual stuff earlier on, the first thing that popped into my head was when Jesus was um, being questioned by Pontius Pilate. Pontius asked him whether he was a king or not, and Jesus was like, well, basically, yeah. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, if it, like, mine's, it's a spiritual, basically, saying that if it was of this world, my followers would fight for me. Yeah. Basically, it was the paraphrase of what he was saying. So it's like, like you were saying, it's a spiritual war going on, not a physical. Totally, Jason. And Jesus even basically says that because he says, if that I came to establish I would be here in Jerusalem as a physical conqueror, not a spiritual. Amen. Really appreciate your insights, my brother. Thanks so much. Great, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, you know, uh, Jerusalem wiped out 70 AD. The new Jerusalem, guys, it's in heaven. It's really clear in scripture. The new Jerusalem is a spiritual place. I don't know why we want to keep rebuilding the old. Okay, let's go to Robert on line three from California. Roberto, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Robert. Uh, or Sean, this is Robert Harrington. I was calling because, first of all, I have a that and then I'll hang up, but I wanted to tell the audience, um, this man has a true heart for his listeners, and I know that firsthand. Uh, <laughs> I won't say why, but um, <laughs> thank you, Sean. Um, my question is on the view of whether or not hell is eternal. I've been looking through this thing that strongly supports whether or not heaven is forever and ever. You know, that question is really good, Robert. And actually, when, like when J Jesus says in John uh, 17, 3, uh, and this is life eternal, uh, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, that is not eternal life. It is age-abiding life. It's age-related. It is, so it, e yeah, it even speaks of a span of time. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to go on forever with God after this life, but it does imply that life after this with God is broken up maybe into span periods or something where we're doing different things. I don't know, but that's a great question because a lot of people who are against uh, the idea that hell gives, or that the lake of fire gives up its dead say, well, then eternal life isn't true either. And when well, you I look- was I was brought up in the Calvary Chapel and a lot of the things that I'm learning now, I, I really appreciate you supporting it and going deep into it, because a lot of times people make big claims and then it's just an idea, but you have supported it. And I, I mean, I wrote something now, I'm a preterist. I didn't even know that word existed a week ago. Whoa. <laughs> um, I, I truly believe that that's right. But then that just brought up that question as whether or not heaven was also eternal. And um, that is something that I think even without the rapture and all that is something that we have as a hope for the future. Yeah, so, yeah. Really appreciate it, Robert. Thanks for the call. All right. You too, man. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, really quick on that. What was he saying? Uh, preterist? Uh, I can't remember. I had a good point. Robert. Is that my uncle? Uh, from Minnesota. Fester, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hello? Fester, you got to turn your uh, computer down. Oh, it's all. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I'm really sorry I missed uh, half of your show, but I've been over these past months trying to catch up with the new episodes you're doing this year. Um, I just want to say, you know, when you were doing about the Mormon church, you know, you taught me a lot about it. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I just want to call you and tell you that personally. Thanks. Yeah, but um, the the newer stuff you're doing now, it's kind of got me a little like confused because half of the things you say yeah you don't believe in um i mean it's clearly in the scripture like i can't really give you an example tonight because i literally was uh you know live and oh. i just called in you know just to say thank you for the other episodes you did but you know in the future i'll try to call with questions but i just wanted to you know thank you well thank well you're welcome for the mormon side but do me one favor will you sure we get emails all the time, people challenging me, saying, answer this question, answer this question on eternal punishment or on, on, on end times or, or on Trinity, answer this question. And please watch all 13 shows 
on End Times, watch all eight shows on eternal punishment, and hear all the responses from the Bible before you decide that I'm, I'm off my rocker. Try, please do that because it's only fair because I just end up re, uh, reiterating things that um, you can see really well done instead of me trying to grasp at them from my pea brain. Oh. <laughs> all right. Um, um, where is that all on your YouTube yep, channel? Yep, it, it's all at hotm.tv. Okay, certainly I'll check those out. And then uh, one question, when does your show stream live so I can make sure I catch up with that? Right now. No, like what days do you do it? Only on Tuesday week? night. I'm sorry? Only on Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Okay. Thanks, Fester. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listen, we're going to really quickly try to take Eric from Columbia where? Hold on. Eric? Speakerphone. I'm on speaker. Eric? Oh, is that Sean? That's me. Oh, hi, Sean. Yep. Kristen, come up here. Hey. Eric, come up here, Kristen. Hey, Eric, do me a favor. Ask your question in Spanish, please. Okay? Because I can't really understand you, but I have a Spanish friend with me who's going to interpret. You want me to speak on the air in español? Yes. Hola, chica. Buenas noches. Sí, buenas noches. Um, solo quería decirle a John que muchas gracias por todo de que el sentido preterista que tiene eh, me ha cambiado la vida y de que quería preguntarle si realmente tenemos que eh, eh, decir de que el diablo siempre por cada cosa que hacemos o realmente es nuestras mentes, o, o somos nosotros y queremos escapar de la responsabilidad. He's just wondering about if the devil is the one who causes all the problems in our minds up. That's why we act like that, or it's because of us. We're just blaming on the devil. Oh, I see. I think the devil's still at work. Uh, tell him I think the devil. And we also get in our own way. Both are at work against our, ourselves. El, el enemigo siempre va a estar ahí, hermano. Mira, lo que pasa es de que él pone una parte y nosotros ponemos nuestra debilidad. Uh, Sean lo admiro yo también mucho, lo quiero mucho, yo era mormón también y, y a mí me cambió la vida y las escrituras. Tell, otra pregunta? Tell him we love him. No, te, te queremos desde acá, desde Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, uh, no, yes, yeah, um, I'm very thankful to Sean and so grateful, so thankful for and his family. You're welcome, Eric. I love, I love you too, Sean. Adios, amigo. Cuídate, hermano. Um, there's my Spanish. We got to go. We're out of time. Uh, Aaron in Arizona is on line three. We'll pick him up. Call next week, Aaron, and we'll continue to talk. Have so much to cover. We love you guys. God bless you. Keep searching for truth. See you next week on Heart of the Matter. Add a zero to your page. Going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel.